I really liked the doctor. I really liked the Nazi in this. I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. So you lie to yourself to be happy. There's nothing wrong with that. We all do it. We all go a little mad sometimes. Come on. One of you nuts has got any guts. What's the smile on that face? You're only as healthy as you feel. Listen to me! Listen to you by what right? Because I have a right to be. I have a voice! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Pop Culture Case Study. Yeah, let's do it. I'm pumped. Let's let the healing begin. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Pop Culture Case Study, where we analyze pop culture from a psychological angle, a part of the following films network. And this week, we're taking a look at the debt and integrity. And when I thought to myself, I'm going to do a podcast about integrity, who should I bring on? And of course, the first person that came to mind is Barry from True Bromance. So thanks for finally joining us for a for a full episode. I'm glad I could finally make it on and for such a such an important uh, virtue that's near and dear to my heart, one that I try to uh, live out every day to the fullest. Obviously, yes. Um, so before we get into the episode, why don't you tell people about your podcast and where they can find it online? Okay, yeah. Um, I co-host an award-winning podcast with uh, my, my life partner, Hiro, a true bromance film podcast. We kind of all over the place we really kind of talk about movies and things like that it's just really an excuse for us to get drunk and uh fight or agree sometimes about movies we just have a good time and bring on great guests like yourself and uh others that we won't mention here because they get a lot of talk elsewhere but yeah, uh, it's just a good not. time <laughs> yeah you know the, your, your standard new release we kind of add in some things we're kind of going through uh, uh a segment now called true bromancing the classics actually gonna release an episode this week with that we're going to review the the great dr no the first bond sean connery film so we're excited about that nice awesome so um i always like to ask my guests for a couple movie recommendations either connected to the movie we're covering here or the theme so what are your movie recommendations okay wow so um my first one i thought when you said kind of integrity uh, as being the the thought i kind of you know not being the most uh I I have integrity occasionally, I guess, but I was trying to think of a good movie. Uh, The first one that really came to mind that I really enjoy is Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's a, you know, uh, young Charlie kind of has the, especially at the end, you know, kind of the integrity to kind of uh, do the right thing in his heart and kind of see it through and not take advantage where a lot of other kids were kind of, uh, kind of just basically evil and he uh, obviously comes out much <laughs> the better worst there of the childhood end. yes <laughs> oh man i love that film man the, the the oompa loompas gene wilder it's such a great time it really is a, a fun film yeah uh and the other one i kind of tied it back into the dead and there, there's a little integrity but it's it's a film about uh film about you know kind of a religious sect or not a religious sect a, a religious person kind of trying to uh, uh uh help his religion kind of save face kind of come to the savior or not come to the savior but kind of save the day uh, and that's Kingpin with uh, Woody Harrelson, uh, and uh, that is not where I thought that was going. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> leave it to Barry to bring in a savior movie. Just he can't get away from that white savior thing. He's gonna... I, I, I like you know I like to uh, represent the films that I'm most represented in, and as a, as a, a <laughs> white male, you know I want to I want to live up to the things. So that's that I what like ninety five percent of movies. That's <laughs> There you go. <laughs> you got there your you choice, go. which is nice. All right. Know, anytime I go to the theater, I can kind of pick one out. <laughs> yeah. and kind of a, it, it can it can speak directly to me. Absolutely. All right. Um, so thanks for those recommendations. We're going to take a little break. I'll talk about integrity, and then we'll bring you back to talk about the debt. 
Greetings, podcast listeners. My name is Peter, the host of Hydrate Level 4. On my show, I invite guests to come on and we review movies from our childhood and see if they still hold up. I've reviewed movies such as Mrs. Doubtfire, True Romance, Real Genius, The Mighty Ducks Trilogy, and even serious movies like A Time to Kill. We have a lot of fun and reflect back on the year and talk about even the music and other movies that came out around the time of that particular movie's release. So find me weekly at followingfilms.com on the Following Films Podcast Network. Okay, so time for the psychological section. So today, as I mentioned, we're talking about integrity. Integrity is the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles. It's generally a personal choice to hold oneself to consistent moral and ethical standards. So it's not so much a situation where you're like, well, the rules say I have to be this, at least external rules. It's kind of these internal rules that you've made for yourself. So in ethics, integrity is regarded by many people as the honesty and truthfulness of one's actions. It, can, it stands in opposition to hypocrisy. The word integrity evolved from the Latin adjective integer, meaning whole or complete. So in this context, integrity is the inner sense of wholeness deriving from qualities like honesty or character. So as such, you can judge that others have integrity to the extent that they are acting according to the values, beliefs, and principles that they claim to hold. So there's lots of different types of integrity, like political integrity. So integrity is really important for politicians because they are appointed to serve society. In order to be able to do this, politicians are given power to to make, execute, and control policy kind of in the name of everyone who put them there. So they have the power to influence something or someone. However, there's a risk that this power will not be used by politicians to serve society. I think we're all going to find that out in the next two to four years. Aristotle said that because rulers have powers, they will be tempted to use it for their own personal gain. So it's important that politicians withstand this temptation, and that requires integrity. In a book called The Servant of the People, the author describes that integrity starts with that politicians need to know what their position entails because integrity is related to that position. It also demands knowledge and compliance with both the letter and the spirit of written and unwritten rules. It's acting consistently not only with what is accepted as moral and what other people think, but what is ethical, what politicians should do based on reasonable arguments. Also, integrity is not just about why a politician acts in a certain way, but who they are. Questions about a person's integrity tend to cast doubt not only on their intentions, but also on the source of those intentions, which is the person's character. So integrity is really about having the right ethical virtues that become visible in their patterns of behavior. Important virtues of politicians include faithfulness, humility, and accountability. They should be authentic and a role model. Aristotle identified pride as the crown of the virtues, distinguishing it from things like vanity, temperance, and humility. So it always feels a little weird talking about political integrity given where we're at. But again, we're talking about uh, in the history of humankind, not just this election season. So lots of disciplines and fields have an interest in integrity. This includes uh, philosophy, mathematics, anyone studying the mind, cognition, consciousness, uh, structural engineering, and politics. Popular psychology also identifies personal integrity, professional integrity, artistic integrity, and intellectual integrity. So now we're going to take a look at a couple psychological articles about integrity. 
Okay, so like I said, we're going to do a couple articles. The first one is from McCabe and Pavella, and they were talking about the principles of academic integrity. And they're really looking at how faculty can foster this student honesty that they're looking for. So this is an update to a previous article they did about the same thing to try and kind of make sure they're on the right path. And this is really important because there's been a bunch of studies that show really high rates of cheating in both high schools and colleges and student misuse of the Internet is this huge growing phenomenon that at least a lot of faculty are not prepared to address. So they really found 10 principles of academic integrity. One, you need to recognize and affirm academic integrity as an institutional value. So the school must must believe in this as well as the students. And two, you have to foster a lifelong commitment to learning. And this involves taking less of the, the onus on the student to get great grades and to make this look like a learning opportunity for the rest of their lives. Three, affirm the role of the teacher as a guide or mentor. So don't just don't just come into the classroom as a teacher and think like, I'm here to punish people, I'm here to give grades, but I'm here to guide them in the rest of their life. Four, help students understand the potential of the internet and how that potential can be lost if online resources are used for fraud, theft, or deception. Five, encourage student responsibility for academic integrity. So it's not just about, you know, I'm going to catch you, but this is the best for you in the long run. Six, clarify the expectations for the student. So if we don't define and enforce standards for academic integrity and we don't involve students in it, they're much less likely to adhere to those rules. Seven, develop fair and creative forms of assessing academic integrity. And this can involve things like even like assigning assignments. Uh, they, They interviewed one student and said when most of the assignments seem to be or are in fact little more than busy work, which not even the TAs who grade actually care about seeing, it's very difficult to take that assignment seriously. So in order to reduce cheating, assignments must be more personal and more relevant. Number eight, reduce opportunities to engage in this dishonest, in this dishonesty. And this can be, and this can be as simple as having office hours uh, more readily available, and to encourage students to seek help instead of saying, "Well, if you need it, I'm here." I guess if you actually make it seem like something that they're welcome at, then they're much more likely to go. Nine, respond to academic dishonesty when it occurs. There's some there's some schools and some teachers who will find the dishonesty and then feel like, well, I don't want to punish the student, so I'm just going to let this one go. I'll give them a warning. And that actually will lead to more dishonesty. And 10, help define and support campus-wide ac- academic integrity standards. So yes, faculty members are the primary role models, but if it's community-wide, this responsibility to identify repeat offenders and apply consistent procedures, and then it can also affirm the shared values that make the colleges, universities actual communities and not just places of learning and not just places where you get punished. So those are the 10 ways that they found that will help increase academic honesty. Okay, so our last article is about perceived integrity of transformational leaders in organizational settings. So uh, that's a lot of big words. So in 1978, there was a theory that was introduced called transforming leadership. And transforming leadership is a process where one or more persons engage with others in such a way that leaders and followers raise one another to higher levels of motivation and morality. So transformational leadership is a process by which people trust, admire, and respect their leader and are motivated because of this to do more than they were originally expected to do. So what this study wanted to do is – try to take a look at 
uh, statistically how well perceived integrity of these leaders by their followers was connected with this transformational leadership. And this was interesting in particular because with transformational leaders, you get a lot of unethical conduct, a lot of unethical behavior, um, but some of them also have a high amount of perceived integrity by their followers. So they had a few hypotheses. One, people who are closer to the leaders will will provide more evidence of transformational leadership, and they will have higher perceptions of the person's integrity. Also, the perceived integrity of leaders will be positively correlated with transformational relationship. And then the last thing they looked at was idealized influence and charisma will also correlate positively with this perceived integrity. So what they did, they took a sample of over 1,300 managers, this is in New Zealand, and they assessed not only them, but the people that work for them. And they gave them a bunch of scales, the first one being the perceived leader integrity scale, which is an instrument that quantifies perceptions of the integrity of a leader's style of behavior. They also gave them a multi-factor leadership questionnaire just to look at how effective they are as a leader. And here's what they found. Um, A moderate to strong positive relationship was found between perceived integrity and the demonstration of transformational leadership behaviors. And a similar relationship was found between perceived integrity and developmental exchange leadership. So overall, they found perceived integrity was found to correlate positively with leader and organizational effectiveness measures. So basically, in the end, what we're looking at is if you are a leader and your subordinates don't see you as full of integrity, then they're not going to perform as highly for you. So it's not about whether you have integrity, but the way you're the way you're perceived. So and I think we'll see we'll take a look closer at the movie and find out if any of these people are leaders and whether they have integrity. All right. So that's it for our psychological section. We'll take a little break and then bring Barry from the True Bromance podcast back to talk about the debt. Watched the movie. Check. Popped the popcorn. Check. Sealed off all the doors and windows so that no one knows I'm home. Check and double check. I'm ready to listen to another episode of Pop Culture Case Study. Oh, hello. (laughs) Didn't realize you were here. Hey, it's uh, Dwight, your best friend from the Broken Brain Podcast. Uh, What's that you say? What's the Broken Brain Podcast? Well, I'm glad you asked. The Broken Brain is your weekly dose of mental health. It's a podcast hosted by me, a professional therapist, where we talk about the latest and most exciting things that we can find and learn about in the world of mental health treatment. We talk about anxiety, depression, uh, neurological underpinnings of the brain, addiction. We talk a lot about trauma recovery and uh, just all all kinds of things that you'd expect from a show uh, hosted by and guested on by professional therapists and other medical mental health professionals. You may even be lucky enough to tune in to an episode starring your very own David Hart from this very program. Speaking of which, Dave is about to tell us all about how to feel about this new or possibly old breaking blockbuster classic movie that he's about to say now. Take it away, Dave. All right. So we're back to talk about the debt now. Uh, What is your history with this movie, Barry? Did you see this when it came out in theaters or was this like a first time watch for you? No, this was a first time watch for me. I, I had heard about this movie like around the time it came out. It was one of those things that I wanted to get to to get to see, but I just never did. And then, you know, it, it just kind of slid off the table, and then I didn't even think about it. Like, because actually, when you when you started talking to me about coming on the show again, you were like, uh, "Let's do the debt," and I kind of started texting you about the doubt. I think with Philip Seymour Hoffman, yeah, <laughs> and things like that. So that kind of like, man, we've already that. covered that. Nope. <laughs> yeah, it kind of shows you how unfamiliar I am with a debt. But uh, you know, I, I looked it up, and it definitely has a great cast. So I was definitely wanting to kind of uh, catch up with it finally, and I'm kind of glad I got got the opportunity to come on and talk with you about it. 
Nice. Yeah. And it's the it's the same star and director of the movie we're pairing it with, which is Miss Sloan, directed by John Madden and starring Jessica Chastain. So uh, so I figured that was a, a solid enough connection for me. I actually saw this in the theaters. I think this was actually the first movie I ever saw Jessica Chastain in. So this was like the start of my one way love affair with with Jessica Chastain. Uh, and it yes. has not uh, and it's not uh, it's not stopped. She's just gotten better and better. And she's she's someone who it's always interesting to see like someone's presence, like someone you notice when you first see them in a movie. Like they don't you don't have all this baggage coming in, like kind of like, well, I know she's going to be good or he's going to be good because of this history. If someone can just start out like that the first time you see them, that's pretty impressive. No, I was going to say that that's interesting because obviously, like I said, this is the first time I've seen this, but I, I do have kind of a relationship with Jessica Chastain and other films, but you do kind of see that right away. And I mean, if this is the first time you kind of uh, a movie you see her in, like it's it's on display already. Right. So, I mean, she definitely right. is a quality actress. So, yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about the the direction. So uh, so I mentioned the director is John Madden, who I think people have. Uh, some mixed feelings about he's uh, he directed Shakespeare in Love, which, of course, got a lot of great press. Uh, but I think people look back on it. It's not one of those people are just dying to rewatch uh, and also mm-hmm. did the best exotic Marigold Hotel. And of course, this and now we'll do Miss Sloan. So what did you think of the direction overall from John Madden? Um, I thought it was pretty good overall. I, I feel like it's um, it's a little kind of a limited film. I mean, there's mm-hmm. a lot of time spent in a a single location, you know, we kind of uh, get the repeat of a scene uh, kind of through, uh, you know, right. a few times. So, you know, I, I don't want to give him a, a ton of credit. I, it's not like he's kind of out there breaking new ground. I don't think anyone's going to kind of compare him to, you know, uh, modern masters or, or even right. kind of uh, new directors like Villeneuve or anybody like that that's kind of uh, – burst onto the scene lately and kind of is really known for maybe the way their movies look or make you feel or anything like that. But it's, it's definitely a competently made movie, right. I would say. Yeah, absolutely. One thing that stood out to me is that you've seen zero dark 30, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. So this movie opens with a shot of Jessica Chastain in profile as the kind of, as the plane opens up, you know, as they're leaving. Yeah. And I was struck by how similar that is to the end of zero dark 30, which of course comes later. It made me wonder like, was this was this scene by Catherine Bigelow and thought like, oh, this is a this is a great idea. I'll just improve upon it. But I was struck by that because I was like, I feel like I've seen this before with this actress. But it's a really nice shot. It's a great like silhouette before it's revealed that she has this this cut on her face, which is, of course, yet to be explained. But I like that opening. I like that we're we've determined that. You know, as we go forward, we figure out like the beginning of this movie is kind of directly in the middle of these two competing storylines, which is which is a nice way to frame it. I think if you're going to jump back and forth between present day and when this happened is to stop kind of right in the middle. So I thought that was a really good a good shot and a good direction to take. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think that's a good opening to kind of see this reaction almost to kind of them coming off the plane. Right. I mean, it is kind of this hero's welcome. Right. It's right. it's definitely a small enclave of people, but you can definitely I get the sense that the, the the people that are there to greet them coming off the aircraft are, are very pleased uh, with them being back. So it kind of sets you up with obviously knowing whatever mission or activity they were doing is something that was of of a kind of a in a grand importance, and then it does kind of kick you off and okay, now what is that story? What is that background? And right, where do we go from there? Yeah, and I think it's it's also interesting that you kind of mentioned this earlier that they decided to kind of show this attack 
on Jessica Chastain's character near the very beginning of the film and then kind of cuts away from it and you don't get the explanation of what happened uh, until much later, which I think is also a, an interesting, smart decision to kind of build that tension because you know at some point this is coming. You're just not sure the situation and how it's going to come about. Yeah, no, I, I, I can agree with that to a degree. I, I just... I think when you kind of set something like that up and you kind of tease it along waiting for it to come back, it, it I don't want to say it waited too long for me, but it definitely, mm. I was, when we finally get back to it, I'm like, okay, thank goodness. You it know, was enough, pushing it. Like, enough, on. yeah, enough in yeah. other directions. Let's kind of get back on topic here. Let's kind of see where we're going. Let's, let's tie this thing up a little bit, I think, is right. how I was feeling. What did you think about the the kind of setup that a lot of the suspenseful scenes, I mean, let's let's just say it like it is, happened with Jessica Chastain during a gynecological exam. So how do you feel like that was handled from a direction standpoint? Did that did that stuff did that stuff work for you? Did did the suspense work for you in those moments? It really did, because, I mean, you know, when you kind of see uh, the situation, when you kind of find out this guy's background, this doctor's background, that's kind of the I guess the bad guy, the big bad guy of the film. You know, my immediate thought was like, is this going to go in a bad direction? You know, yeah. is he going to kind of like assault her? Is he going to do something inappropriate? But uh, but, you know, you never really get that. But it, it definitely feels like you're on the, the, the kind of the edge of your seat. Like what's going to happen here? Like this definitely feels like a it's a very compromised position to be in uh, right. for, for someone. Uh, and just with all the all the background information with, with him being a Nazi and, and things like that. I mean, it's just it's it it's maybe the most vulnerable a woman could be potentially you know what right. i'm saying so to have it right there it, it just seems so crazy like it's just such a it's such a shocking thing to kind of have everything almost you know i guess circle around this this one key scene it's it's very interesting to to have her be in that position while this is going on I, but i liked it a lot i thought it was impressive yeah i mean he said it said it kind of showed a lot of interesting things about uh about power differential in this moment that you kind of mentioned this is the most compromising position that she can be in. But as long as he doesn't figure out what's going on, she's actually in the position of power. And we see right. that later when, you know, she essentially drugs him, you know, with her sure. legs wrapped around his head. And it was like, oh, wow. OK, this is we're going we're going this route, because I think up until then, every moment that he speaks I think like, you know, your heart's kind of in your throat, like, please don't figure this out. And I think we'll get to it in the in the screenplay. But some of the lines that are that are brought up in those particular scenes make you wonder, OK, how much does he know? And are we right. in a really bad position? Yeah, it, this is one of those movies where you're kind of thinking, like, is this guy one step ahead of the game? Like, is he is he aware of his situation? Is he kind of on guard for something like this to happen? And and you know you're you're kind of waiting for it to go bad at any moment. I definitely think with him, especially as a character, like because he he has this this weird presence about him on screen that this kind yeah. of German doctor guy, and it just it's it's this odd confidence. He seems competent and capable, you know, and it just it's really weird, and it does seem like he's very smart and intelligent, and like like he could be kind of ahead of the curve, you know. And you're like, right. oh man, is this going to go bad? And it, it really does it does a good job of building that suspense, which I think is uh, impressive when you don't really kind of I don't. I mean, I guess there's always suspense in a scene like that, but it just it's a good piece of the film because of all the other stuff that's going on and just the conversation they're having too. It's so medical and uh, kind of factual, you know, the things right. that kind of happen, like oh, you know, this this you you did this, and it just it's really it almost kind of helps you take the edge off, but it is such a weird thing. Like it's just such a a bland right. conversation they're having, such a right. you know a doctor patient conversation, but you are waiting for that that next big moment, and you're not sure who's gonna 
kind of, I guess, strike first. Yeah. I think uh, the last thing I want to mention in terms of direction is I think John Madden is really in his element with with small moments. There's there's one shot where, uh, you know, they've they've captured the Nazi doctor and he's, you know, tied up and there is a slow pan as the camera gets closer and closer to his face. And then at the very end, his eyes open, which is a Kind of a terrifying moment because you know, like it's like this almost this this moment of he's he's aware of the situation. He knows what he's going to do. He knows how to handle it, and that all comes across through that shot and through the acting. And then there's a shot of two of our characters' hands clasped together at this party because there's this whole love triangle, like who's she in love with, who you know, who's the father of her child, and she's tempted to leave to leave with David. And they're at the party and they hold hands. And just for a second, you think, okay, she's going to leave. She's going to leave this situation. And instead of having a big blow up, instead of having a fight, she just lets go of his hand. And that tells the audience everything they need to know that, okay, she's staying where she is. And that romance is kind of over. And I really like that moment. Yeah, I mean, definitely the two kind of more subtle moments in the film that, that are that are powerful and kind of get the message across without needing to have the voiceover or the the kind of the on the nose dialogue. I completely agree. Um, in particular, the party scene, I really thought that was kind of interesting, kind of how that goes, because you can just tell in that scene how unhappy she is. Right. And that she still kind of makes that decision. It, it, it's it's really powerful. And it's it makes you really kind of feel bad for her character. You know, it makes you feel bad for Jessica Chastain and kind of. I guess the decision she's making, but you can kind of understand why a little bit. Right. Um, but it it is, you know, it is still kind of a, a powerful moment. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So let's talk about the, the acting for a bit. So mm. as far as I'm concerned, we have like kind of these three pairings, right? Because we have a before and after story. So we have these characters all played by different actors, right? So, mm -hmm. of course, we have Jessica Chastain and Helen Mirren. Uh, uh, and then Martin Zokas and uh, Tom Wilkinson, and then Sam Worthington and Ciaran Hins. Which of those, which character do you think had um, like consistency through the performances? Were there any that stood out good or bad to you? Yeah, I would say maybe Jessica Chastain and Helen Mirren really kind of stand out. I mean, they're, they're definitely yeah. the focal point, I would say, of the film. Um, and, and they're both obviously very good actresses in their own right. Right. Um, but, 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 you know, you just, you, you really kind of get to know them. I, I feel like you kind of, obviously the relationship that's kind of developed with her, like you said, the love triangle aspect. So you're just kind of more paying attention to her as she goes along. Uh, and then I think you also, the good part of that is you get, you just get more with the older character in Helen Mirren. You get more with the, the aged Jessica Chastain character, right. if you will. Um, as opposed to the other two, because you know, um, the one guy, the, the, the the older version of Sam Worthington. I mean, like he, like he kind of stands in the back like a ghost in the room for most of his scenes. And he looks. You know? like I mean, the thing that stood out to me is how little he looks like Sam Worthington. Right, like there yeah. is literally no way Sam Worthington, when he's fifty or sixty, will look like that. Like it's just like it's absolutely it's weird casting. And I mean, it's fine, especially with that role because, like you said, he's barely there. You know, he gets yeah he gets a scene where he commits suicide. And then he gets a scene of flashback, and that's kind of it. But it stood out to me that kind of like, why would you, why would you cast these two people? This this doesn't make any sense. Yeah, they they should have just put Sam Worthington in old man makeup. Like they should have Benjamin Button. It probably just, would have been better. <laughs> yeah, you know, because it really like because I honestly at first I thought he's dead. Like she's seeing a ghost of him. You know, like right. I was because he right. just kind of lurks in the back of the room, like Phantom of the Opera style or something. <laughs> it's just so it's so crazy. Um. You know, but I have to say, man, like I, I'm sure I could look this up on YouTube, but that is one of the, you know, they need some kind of compilation of these like 
bus semi hits in movies because that's one of the that's got to be up there near the top man that was he brutal of that truck holy cow i mean he gets like, hit and then it runs I over mean, his head i mean it's oh, it runs like... over his head you know and i was like what is going on man this is serious and, so uh, it's like, one it, of those like oh fantastic. he's not coming back from that like this yeah, is not no, gonna be yeah, there's no doubting this <laughs> yeah he's, yeah he's done for uh what about you did you did one stand out for you more than the others um, well, I don't think there's any there's any question that Jessica Chastain and Helen Mirren are the focal point of this movie and the best part of it. And I think they're like if you look at these as two trios, both of them are the best within their trios. But actually, who I was most impressed with, probably because I I had really low expectations, was Sam Worthington. I thought he was really good here. I think this is probably his best performance. Like I looked at the cast and thought, like, okay, that's going to be the weak link, and he was actually pretty strong. One of the things that also stood out to me is I'm usually not one to hate on accents. But if you have two actors playing the same character, they better sound the same. And Mm -hmm. Martin Zokas and Tom Wilkinson did not. Like, it stood out to me. And I really like Tom Wilkinson, but this was a performance that I was kind of less impressed with him than I usually am. Okay. Let's let's, let's talk about Sam Worthington's character and how unbelievable um, his early plight in this film is. If, If Jessica Chastain comes on to you... I don't care what kind of tragedy you've had in your life. You accept that. You invitation. make it happen. <laughs> Jessica Chastain could hit on me at my wife's funeral, and we would do it on the coffin. You know what I'm saying? Like you don't just turn that down. Like that is something you what <laughs> you you man up to the situation and you do what needs to be done. Like she is way too attractive and way too sexy to pass that up. Like I when I saw that, I was like, I'm done. I'm out. I'm checked out. This is unbelievable. And yeah. he tries to come crawling back later. It's just it's I mean, horrible, I'd man. love to be the sensitive guy and tell you you're wrong, but you're not wrong. That's okay, I mean, I see, come thank on. You. That's thank you. just I mean, unless they revealed in this movie that he was actually gay, that would be the only reason I would accept him not taking that invitation with Jessica Chastain. That's it. And there's even some allusion to that. Right. There's some there's a conversation between him uh, and, and the other character, the other young male character, Mossad agent about like. You know, I've never seen you kind of take notice of a woman. Like, is there something you need to tell me before we kind of start rooming together? And you're like, OK, well, mate, you know, maybe this is what's going to happen. You know, it's it wouldn't be unheard of. Um, but, you know, but obviously that's not the case. And you're just like, nope, nope. Jessica Chastain hits on you. I don't care what kind of suffering you've had. You're going to you're going to take that young lady up on that invitation. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> for me, man, I, I God, I can't believe I'm about to say this on a podcast and it's going to be recorded. I really liked the doctor. I really liked the Nazi in this. Like he was so I, I had to give him props. I was impressed with him. Like the way yeah. he handled himself. Um like I was never rooting for him, obviously. Uh but Je- Jesper Christensen, man, the, the guy the, the yep. doctor in this film, uh, you know, Dr. Bernhardt, as he was he was just incredible. Like like we talked about the the scene in in uh, the the hospital when he's kind of giving her the exam when he's actually held captive, just the way he manipulates all of them. Yeah. Like it's incredible. And like, it, it kind of really reminds me, and it's obviously not as over the top, but it kind of really reminds me of inglorious bastards and Christoph Waltz's character. Like he's just, he's that intelligent. He knows what to do. He's kind of right. in control of every situation. And, you know, especially when he's held captive, like that's what I think makes that, it kind of helps the scene in the in the the exam be so tense because once he's captured, like he's still in control, like he's never 
panicky. He's never crying. You know, like he's just so, and I'm just like, man, like how is this old doctor holding it together? And like, he just, he really holds his own man. And I have to say that I, you know, like again, never rooted for the Nazi, uh, but I have to <laughs> I'll say. I'll just edit I'm, that part out. <laughs> just, it's just going to be, you know, what I liked yeah. was that Nazi doctor. That's <laughs> that Nazi doctor, man. He really impressed me. No, I but it, it was a really good performance because I think there's a, there's a lot of levels to it. Like when he's first introduced, he's very much this kind of kindly old man. And you actually start wondering during that first scene, like, do they have the right person? Absolutely. Because he's yeah. like, he's very good at his job. He's very caring. He's very careful. Like, even the way he does this examination is very kind of aware of what she's going through. And you're just like, this guy seems like a really nice guy and a really good doctor. Yeah. And and then when they capture him, like you said, the way he plays the room, like he very specifically, he's figured out that David is in love with her. So he makes these yeah. little comments like, oh, I'd much rather she feed me. She's so gentle and so soft, like just needling yeah. him. And then ah. and then when he gets her to do it, he takes the food and then will throw in these little jabs right at the end to kind of get to her, like about about the Jewish people and kind of talking about how, you know, you were made to be exterminated. Like he lulls her in by being oh, kind God, and then just, you know, drives the knife home. And it is pretty impressive, you know, and yeah. I th- and I think uh even to the end of the movie that that kind of final confrontation really works too which which could almost feel silly because it's like you know someone who's in his 70s you know in a, in a fight sequence like that doesn't usually work but i really liked the way that was shot and filmed as well and i thought the physical performance of both him and helen mirren was really good in that moment yeah, for sure, especially the, the final confrontation, right? You don't kind of get the crazy born fight scene. It, it seems right. like two old people right. fighting a little bit. But yeah, but I mean, he's he is just impressive and even in at that stage, like he's he you can tell he's still all his faculties, right? He he yeah. recognizes her, he tries to he tries to high, you know, he's he but he's prepared. Like it's just he he really impressed me and it would just I guess you wouldn't think of that. I mean, because he has this reputation as this kind of this monster that did all these horrible things during the Holocaust, but you wouldn't think of someone being kind of intelligent in that aspect you just think of them being kind of animalistic right i'm just i'm a butcher or whatever the case may be but no this guy's actually really smart and and obviously very capable and and can kind of after he escapes he continues to live on i mean until he's well into his you know later life and it just i I don't know he just it's really impressive and like i said he just did such a good job of kind of portraying that character that uh that i i enjoyed his performance maybe i would say second to behind jessica chastain that would be if i was gonna put him in a, a position right i would say i liked him second behind her Okay, so uh, so let's move on to the to the screenplay. So in general, what mm. did you think? What did you think about the writing in this film? Um, you know, I think it's an interesting story. Like I said, I do think the way they kind of structure it with like kind of the 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 opening, and then we get the one version, right? And then there's come the 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 events that that are kind of after that. I, I thought for me maybe the um the the storytelling when we kind of get to the old Helen Mirren, and there's kind of this this daughter's wrote this book about her ordeal and stuff and it's kind of like okay i mean you obviously it kind of sells up it it kind of tells on itself almost you know what i'm saying like obviously this did not happen like there's no doubt because you can kind of just see the interactions of what's going on so it almost it almost shows its ace in the hole too soon i I think a little Mm. bit from like what's going on or at least maybe i picked up on it's like okay well this that's obviously a false narrative that we get that that's told in this book um but i think the the kind of the retelling of the story after that I, I think is interesting. And then kind of after the fact, the kind of conclusion of the story does a pretty good job of kind of trying to ring it back in. But I, I have to say, I mean, it is just, it's fairly straightforward 
for for the most part. Um, I think you get some some interesting dialogue, uh, in particular between the interrogation scenes or at least mm-hmm. the feeding scenes. Right. Uh, they go on from there. But a, a lot of times, like I said, when we are with the older versions of these characters, I really found myself wanting to get back to the the younger versions. I wanted to kind of stay in this apartment or stay before we're trying to to get him out of Berlin and all these other things. I just really found myself enjoying that half of the movie much more than the latter half or, or their their older halves, I guess. Right. I can see that. I also think there's there's a couple clever things the script does. Uh, that I'm not even sure that I noticed the first time I saw it, but it's been like, you know, five years or whatever since it since it came out. But there's like kind of a throwaway line early in the film where they kind of are talking about what they did before. And you find out that Jessica Chastain's character um, was a translator. And then that actually comes into play later in the movie with Helen Mirren, with her needing to be able to speak several languages in order to get to where she needs to be to kind of try and track this guy down. And I thought that was like a really smart thing to do because it takes away that that kind of nitpicking like, oh, well, why does she know Russian? Why does she speak mm. the language from for this Ukrainian newspaper? And I like that they put that little throwaway line in there so so you don't have to question that anymore and you see her as someone who is capable uh, in these situations. And I also liked kind of this slow reveal of of the pregnancy um, during the kind uh. of interrogation scenes where, you know, he very easily could have the, – the doctor could have easily told them all what was going on. But instead, he chose to tell certain individuals in those rooms at the perfect time. It was like one more way for him to kind of get under the skin of these three people holding him captive. Right. But you don't think you kind of see the uh, the pregnancy being a little bit telegraphed when he kind of when she goes back into her revisit when they kidnap him that like, oh, your timing couldn't have been better. Like, I feel like yeah, I feel like it's kind of telegraphing itself. Like, right. Mm-hmm. You can tell that she's actually likes David, but she just wants some kind of affection. So she goes with the other character. What's his name? I'm kind of drawing a blank on the other guy's name. Um, his name's uh, uh, Stefan. Stefan. Yes, please. So Stefan. Um, so. Uh, played by uh, Martin Koskis. Um, you know, uh, and so like when she goes to him, you're like, and then he goes back to the doctor. You're like, well, this is, she's pregnant, right? Cause she, we already see that she has a kid. Like, I, I just felt like it's like, okay, well this is all not telegraph, but you could, I mean, I, I felt like the pieces were just right there. You know, oh yeah. I mean, say, I think okay, from we're... an audience perspective, we know it's there, but I think the way it was re- revealed to the individual characters in the moment oh, okay. worked for me. Yeah. I can agree with that. I know it definitely, it's definitely manipulative for sure. Yes, you know what I mean? Absolutely. It's just so, and it's, yeah, it, it's, but for me, I think the most clever line in, in the screenplay is I think it's like her second exam when she goes in and he just asks her, who told you about me? Uh, oh, which yeah. is this really interesting kind of meta contextual line that could mean one of two things. And of course, Jessica Chastain's performance, like with basically just her eyes in that sequence is absolutely terrific. Like you see that panic just behind her eyes and then see her adjust to the situation and kind of, you know, make up or tell this story about being from Argentina, I think it was. And like yeah. that whole process. And I really like that line because again, even I, even now I'm not sure at that point what he knows i think he has some suspicions but i don't think he knows exactly what's going on but it puts you kind of in her position in her shoes where you're wondering like uh have i just put myself in a position to be killed essentially because like you said she's in this she's in this position that could be really bad for her she can't really defend herself 
you know, in, yeah, in and, that and chair. He can do a lot so. of damage. He has right. easy access to an area that can do a lot of damage. Yeah, no, I, I mean, like I said, and that's absolutely right. I mean, we, we've talked about this scene quite a bit. I mean, the two exam scenes really are kind of, I think, the, the heart of this movie. And it really does kind of play into, you know, especially those questions. Like, how did, you know, how did you find out about me? And then he even kind of continues that kind of little bit of questioning. Like, she's still always on edge, you know, and, and like you said, you just don't know what does he know? Where's he coming from? Is is he completely oblivious? And just the, the things that kind of go through through his mind. I just found that to be really interesting because I thought for sure he was onto it. Like the whole time, I was like, he's gonna, like he's gonna sniff this out, right? Like he's just because the the question about what's the name of the stadium? Like I mean, that's just it's kind of clever but subtle, but still like you don't know like what's going on. Like, well, if you're from Argentina, obviously you would know the name of the the soccer stadium there, and like. Right. And, and was she right? Does he really know? Was it just kind of like it just it's so like it's so fun almost in that scene. Like, oh, yeah. man, what's going to happen? I, I really enjoyed that particular. Yeah, exchange. I mean, it's very much this kind of cat and mouse game in that scene. And you really right. you never know who has the upper hand for sure, which I really like. What did you think about? There's this whole kind of moment near the end of the film where uh, Stefan is is talking. Uh, Stefan is talking to Rachel and tells her truth is a luxury. And there's this whole sequence about her wanting her child to be proud of her. What did you think about kind of the decisions made in that scene? Did that make sense to you, or did you feel that was like a little bit on the nose and over the top? I don't know. I mean, when you get to that point, I, I think it begins to get a little uh, on the nose, maybe. Um, you know, and, and especially when you're kind of trying to. Uh, we obviously have the the character David having so much trouble with the lies and things like that. So you you really kind of have this. I don't know, man. You lived with a lie for thirty years, like you know that's that's what deathbeds are for. You just keep it, you know. You just keep going. Like I, I just don't. Uh, I, I don't know if I necessarily uh, believe in the the writing of the thirty year wrong. I mean, if you want to take action, that's one thing. But right. to to make people aware of it is it seems to be uh, foolhardy for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think it was a little on the nose, but I also think Helen Mirren's performance in that scene was really tremendous. Like, you did really feel that emotion, that kind of, I I want my child to be proud of me for the right reasons, not because of this sure. lie we've told. And that really worked for me, but I think it could have been it could have been written more subtly. It could have been done better, but I think with what she was given, like, and as she always is, Helen Mirren was fantastic. So let me ask you this then about that, because so going back to the integrity thing, so we kind of get this. I want my daughter to be proud of me. I kind of want either the truth to come out or actually accomplish the thing that we said we would do. But when we get the scene when uh, the the, the doctor escapes and they're kind of in a room and they're all freaking out, like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And they kind of devise this grand plan. Um, Like when you're in a situation like that, when you're when you're basically committing to a lie um and it's like but you can't ever tell anybody like really like so so you expect you you're gonna trust me to say i'll never you're you're gonna trust me to not lie to you when i'm agreeing to the longest lie right one of the biggest <laughs> lies that we'll ever tell right i mean that just seems kind of foolhardy right like i mean i can't really believe that you would think that's going to be a good idea like you're kind of setting yourself up uh, for failure there a, a little bit i, yeah. I don't know i, I just mean, can't imagine i definitely get that but i also think in a situation like that, there's so much panic involved that you desperately sure. want to believe that these people will will go along this with you. And it's really, right. I think, for for Stefan's character, he feels like it's his only option. Otherwise, right. and, like and he go homes and sh- he goes home in shame. 
Right. And you're talking yourself into it too, right? Yeah, like, exactly. Right. You're with me. You're with me. Just say you're with me. We can all right. kind of <laughs> agree to this lie. But it just, it, yeah, it, it's quite funny. And then the other thing too that, that I found, you know, kind of with talking maybe a little bit about integrity and the things that go on is um, the scene where uh, Sam Worthington and David's character comes out and he's kind of holding that, I don't know if it's like a grocery bag or whatever it is that, that, uh, uh, that, that our Stefan had kind of put over the doctor's head and they yeah. kind of had this exchange, almost this heated exchange uh, of like, you know, we're not animals. Like you have to remember who we're not. And, you know, I have to say, man, like I found myself in that scene thinking, I don't know, bro. Like, I, I, I don't know if I believe keeping your head above water in that situation. You know what I'm saying? Like to be, to rise above, like that's not going to help you out. Like this guy's a monster. Like to take down right. a monster, you sometimes have to be a monster yourself. And I just felt like, like, no, no, you're not. I understand the idea behind being better than this guy trying to, but like your eventual goal is to have him killed anyways. So what's right. What's, what's where's the line? The way? Where's the yeah, line? What's a little abuse sure. along the way. So I just, I don't know. I, I kind of, like I said, almost at every turn, that character, David, like I was just like, nope, 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 nope. Like I just I could not get on board with hardly any decision that he was making other than, you know, asking Jessica Chastain to run away with him at the party. Like that's the only thing I could kind of believe. And of course, his, his the ship had long sailed at that point. So he uh, he missed his window. Right. OK, so let's talk about uh, production production value. You brought up something earlier that really kind of stuck with me and kind of it it made sense to me as I was thinking about when I was watching the movie is that in a lot of ways, I would say like, you know, maybe 60 to 70% of this movie is almost, almost like a stage play. Like it's set in this one spot. It's set in this, in this room uh, where, mm-hmm. where they've, where they've kind of trapped this guy. And then another 10% of the movie is probably the, the exam sequences. So they're very contained. And I feel like John Madden as a director really suffers when he has to move out of those rooms. Like there's a whole sequence, uh, which I think starts out really well of, of basically, uh, Rachel's character having to kind of save the guy's butts. Like, so they don't, they don't get captured. Uh, and there's some gunplay that's involved in that scene. And you can really tell, like he doesn't do well with any action sequences beyond kind of hand to hand combat. I think the hand to hand combat stuff works that fight with, uh, with Rachel and the doctor works, uh, their kind of training inside the apartment works, but all that stuff outside, like it was a little rough to me and felt like you never got a sense of where people were and how much danger they were really in. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Uh, you know, I think the film is much better when they're in the apartment. It, it kind of adds this, this closeness, this, this uncomfortableness with everybody. And even when like throughout, when they're getting to know each other or things like that, like you kind of see multiple times, uh, kind of Jessica Chastain lying in the bed, kind of like almost like agonizing, like, Oh, I got it. Just, this is so miserable. Um, but when they get out, like I said, the, the scene when they're trying to escape with him, uh, you know, at the train station, I, I thought that was easily the worst scene of the film. You know, like it just, you're not sure where you are. Like people are just kind of standing around. Uh, it, it's one of those things where guards kind of seem to be coming out of the woodwork. It's like, well, is this a cartoon? It's like a like, video what's game. Going on? Like, like, yeah, like you got, yeah. yeah, there's a spawning station over there. Guys just keep <laughs> popping out of. Like, it's like, really? You know, and then the, the getaway, it just, it's not very, it's not filmed very well. So I, I agree. Like, that, that the action scene there is definitely not his strong suit. But the, uh, the scenes in the apartment are better. I, I did, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe if you're caught unaware, I did have that kind of question too about, uh, again, and this is one of these things that kind of makes me uh, 
be impressed by by our Nazi doctor. Like, I mean, you're you're able to take down <laughs> and we're back. And, uh, who's? <laughs> but I mean, this we've seen her train in hand to hand combat multiple times. She seems very capable, right? And he dispatches her with relative ease, right? I mean, I'm just like, what? Like, so I was like, wait, what? What? No, like this. No, like she should have. Like that, that's not what's supposed to happen. I mean, like I don't know. I just I, I didn't I didn't like the getaway. I, I wish there mm. had been some kind of like just smash her over the head and get away. Like to to take her out in a fist fight seems unrealistic from everything else we've seen up to that point with this character because we've not had anything established by this guy other than he's. A, I mean, when you think of a doctor, you don't think of a guy being like Jean Claude Van Damme. <laughs> you know, he's he's kind of a nerdy guy. Comes in with know, a blade, probably. like whoa, yeah, where <laughs> you know, like his, his tie's a little askew. Like he's kind of what? Where am I? You know, but no, this dude he handles his business, and I don't know. I just it felt a little, I, not unbelievable, but I was kind of surprised by the outcome. But it it, it is filmed well, and it's right. short, right? That's I think that's the other thing. It's kind of over. In a few seconds, you don't have this long extended fight scene where you're like, well, they would be dead by now. Right. right? There's no and way that was and that was really surprising <laughs> given the way they structured the movie. Like I remember the first time I saw it, I thought like, oh, we're just seeing a piece of it. And we are. But there's not many more pieces that no. is added to that fight scene. It is pretty quick and pretty brutal. Um, yeah. And we talked about kind of the outside scenes. And there's one scene to me in this movie that just stands out like a sore thumb. Before we have that that kind of escape scene, that scene where they're you know almost get trapped at the at the train station, they have this kind of planning sequence where they're kind of like walking through the plan, and then the the camera goes outside to show where they they'll be, and it just struck me as like, what is this Ocean's Eleven? Like, what are we what are we doing? Like, it's something we've seen so often in these kind of right. heist comedy films that it it just struck me as I was watching it, like, why are we do like this is just wasting time. Like, we yeah, can just show this later. Run. Right, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I was just waiting for Pitt and Clooney to come out and, <laughs> you know, help with this train heist. And I was like, how do we get here? Like, it's it's a scene, and it's a movie that's two hours long. There's no reason. I mean, that's something to me that probably should have hit the cutting room floor. Uh, no, I, I agree. And like I said, I, I think the more I think about it, the more we kind of sit here and talk about it, I, I really think everything that takes place with the the younger version of the timeline – We'll say that like everything outside of the apartment minus the the exam room scenes and the the scene when Jessica Chastain's character first meets Sam Worthington's character. Mm-hmm. Um, other than those two, like I, I could do away with the rest of it. Like there's a scene where Stefan is kind of walking down the road and he kind of dives into an alley and it's like. Yeah, we get it. People, we know you're in danger. Like, yeah. yeah like, you know, <laughs> how many times is he going to come back into the apartment? Oh, they're not going to help. Like, it just get on. We get it. Get on with it. You know, like it just it feels like they're just they, they are kind of trying to stretch this a little bit when I don't think they need to. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. There is a lot of kind of unnecessary stuff there, which is a little upsetting because it's a movie that I think has the bones of a really good film. Um, and I think if you make the right cuts here and there, it could almost get to be a great film because there's a good story there. There's good performances. I think going back and forth between, between these timelines is always difficult. And it does, I think in the first half of the movie, it's a little stunted and you're like, okay, can we get back to this? Can we get back to that? Mm -hmm. And the pacing is just the tiniest bit off, which I, which I definitely put on the director. Like that's just, that's something that he should be in control of. But like you said, it comes off instead as this very competently made thriller. 
which, you know, is right. not an insult. There's plenty of thrillers that are not competent, <laughs> that are that are painful to watch. And this is definitely not one of them. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I, I think that's that's absolutely true. And and I do think I think that the the initial scenes could have been handled a little bit better if they would have had characters that have looked more like the younger versions themselves or just had them right. in old person makeup. Because when we kind of meet the older uh, uh, Sam Worthington character, like you have no idea who that is. Yeah. Like Jessica Chastain with Helen Mirren, we know because the scar, right? Okay. We, right. That's an easily identifiable mark. Okay. That's the older version of her. But beyond that, we're like, okay, could this guy, this is, you know, who's this guy? Which one of the other two is this guy? Like, I just feel like there's no way to kind of establish who's who, until we finally have this conversation about, oh, that's this guy, and this is what's right. happening. You're like, oh, I okay. think it's, I think it's definitely one of those movies that, on a second watch, it's much easier. But it, sh- you shouldn't have to sit through two hours of a movie to be able to piece together who's who. Like that, absolutely. That it shouldn't absolutely. be that difficult. Have you seen the, uh, have you seen the original version of this? Because I guess this is a remake of an actual Israeli film. Have you seen the I original? I haven't. No. The Dead. Yeah, no. I, I found that out today doing some research when I was kind of looking up some things about the film. Look at you doing to, research. Uh, Oh, well I, I, I had to Google what integrity was. I didn't know. It. I was like, what's, you know, like what's? Let me let me make sure I know exactly. It's, it's, it's that is definitely going. Indie. I don't know what's happening. That's you know, definitely going at the top of the episode. That's oh well. You know, <laughs> I was hoping we would get some in there somewhere. I didn't know what was going on, but yeah, you know, I just, uh, I, I, you know, I was looking up some stuff and I was like, oh, this is a remake. That's interesting. You know, because when I first brought it up, like when I was kind of trying to to see where I could find it streaming, like. Like the debt came up a few times. There's like a few movies called the debt. And I was like, oh, okay, that happens. And then when I was doing a little bit more research, I was kind of doing some Wikipedia stuff today, looking up the director and things like that. And it's like, oh no, this is actually a remake of like a, a few years before Israeli film. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder what that would be like, you know, to kind of see. Right. Uh, and I mean, I don't know. I mean, the story is the story. I don't know how much was changed for an American audience, if you will. Cause I feel still like it's definitely, an Israeli story, right? There's no yes. kind of American feel to this movie at all. It all takes place in Germany or Israel. So there's no right. connection. You know, we, we don't get the Golden Gate Bridge or the Twin Towers. <laughs> right. or anything And that's like actually that. something I really like about this movie is they didn't For feel sure, pressured yeah. to kind of in, you know, an American production didn't feel pressured to like bring in some connection. I think sometimes sometimes filmmakers make that mistake where they're like, oh, we got to we got to have American audiences. And this is so foreign to them. We can't everyone's got an accent and all that. But I love that they didn't feel the need to do that. Absolutely. And and that makes you think, too, because there is a lot of conversation about the Americans pulling out. The Americans are not going to help us. Right. Were there scenes where there was an actual, you know, like the the bad CIA guy that's like, I'm sorry, we're not going to help. And there's this big cowardly Americans. Yeah, exactly. The cowardly (laughs) Americans not going to help us sneak out of uh, East Germany. But, yeah, no, I mean, I said it it was a good movie. Like I said, I think there were some things that could be done to to clean it up a little bit, you know, establishing who's who. But but overall, I mean, it is it is definitely a well-made drama and it definitely has uh, a good amount of suspense for a film kind of about this subject matter. I think it's pretty impressive the way it kind of handles itself. Absolutely. So what are what's one of your favorite scenes from the movie? Oh, one of my favorite scenes, man, um, one of my favorite scenes honestly has to be the scene where the the doctor is kind of being fed by uh, by David's character, by uh, Sam Worthington and just kind of their conversation. Uh, and and kind of how he's he just breaks him down so quickly, you know, and he just mm-hmm. hits him everywhere. Like, oh, the girl that you're in love with is 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 pregnant by another dude, and oh, your family, you know, just that that conversation about like how 
how they won't fight back. Like it's just like, oh my god! Like it's just so demeaning. Yeah. But it, it's so powerful and so uh, crazy, and you can kind of. And then when he reacts out, when he reacts, you know, because he's been the stoic one. He's been the one we can't stoop to his level. You know what I'm saying? It just it all right. kind of culminates in this kind of chaos, and and it just it's for me it's it's just such a a really great scene. I just kind of like everything that goes on. His his frustrations with what's going on and everything like that, and then. And then of course we get the replay again. That's when it kind of dies back. We get the we get the the deja vu feeling when we kind of oh we've seen this about three times already. Right. She's kind of picking up the bowl. But yeah, but you know, but right before that, man, it, it was intense. It was yeah. well written. Dialogue's impressive. But yeah, I I think that one. And then also too the thing, the the my maybe my one A is when the doctor reveals he speaks English. Oh, that's I, I a great that's so moment. Incredible. Yeah, it just, I mean, and I mean, I guess that's a short moment. It's a short scene. But again, it just kind of shows, man, I can't, I am team Nazi right now. This is horrible. I feel <laughs> so bad. Like, he's just so impressive to me, man. Like, I mean, he's he's Christoph Waltz level of bad guy. Like, it just, it's very impressive, but it's very, you know, it's understated. But, you know, when he reveals that he speaks English, holy cow, man. I mean, that just, it's a game changer for them because yeah. now all of a sudden, you he's know. He's heard like, everything. They, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, every plan you've made, I can now. I can now throw a wrench into it because I know what we're going to do. You know, it's just right? it's incredible. So I'm going to balance I, this out I, and talk about two scenes that are not about Nazis, you <laughs> monster. Um, so the first one I, I really like, I tend to like scenes that tell us about characters without kind of needless dialogue. Like it's the old adage, right? Show, don't tell. And there's two kind of, I think, scenes that are almost back to back. And there's one with David and Rachel having a moment where he's like, he's brushing her hair. And it's a very romantic moment mm. that he, you know, eventually has to kind of excuse himself because, you know, something horrible you happened to him. Like no, wait, that? wait, wait, oh. wait. <laughs> and right, lash out. And right after that, we have Stefan in his like piano sequence and i love that it shows this drastic difference between these two men and it it tells you like why rachel is attracted to both of them in this very simple sequence of scenes and i i just think it would be it would be tempting to like write some line about like how you know i like him because he's sensitive and i like him because he's charming and but instead they just have these two scenes back to back and then of course she ends up with stefan and i really like that sequence of scenes showing the difference between those two characters oh man so you know i'm going to kind of piggyback off you with the, the stefan scene and the piano um because you know uh, uh if anyone's listening to our show, you know, we kind of hear this. I, I basically watch every movie I can with subtitles because I have screaming banshee children. So it's kind of hard to, <laughs> to hear what's going on. A Haven't lot of you times. called them Aryan poster children? It's interesting. Oh. Man. <laughs> man, holy crap. You're figuring me out. Come on. Come on, Sherlock Holmes. Keep it down a little bit. Let's keep the reveal for the very end of the episode when I got to. No. Um, what I've said is that my children are Hitler's wet dream. They're very oh, recessive, yeah. blonde haired, blue eyes. even worse. It's very. Uh, uh, you know, I'm doing my part to kind of keep pumping in the the extra white people, I guess. But uh, oh. but no, they they will not stop screaming and being hooligans at times. So I like to watch things with subtitles. And in that scene, it's really incredible because it's it's not just subtitles. It's like one of those things where the kind of the action's a little bit kind of, not the action, but maybe some of the the music is kind of narrated because it actually has like the plinks of the rain and things like mm -hmm. that. It kind of shows up as text. But when she starts playing the piano. I can't remember the song, but it puts on there. She plays it. It's like weekly. She plays it weekly, right? Mm. And when you see the text, you can kind of recognize that. But 
what I would say is she's playing it kind of slowly, right? It's just kind of she's not really into it. it it's something like that. And then when he starts playing the same song, it says plays confidently. And it's just like, wow, mm-hmm. that really is kind of an interesting way to to almost dissect that scene with the help of the subtitles a little bit, you know, right. kind of saying, you know, how she's approaching it is is unsure of herself, you know, unconfident and, you know, and not just I'm I'm working my way into kind of, you know, the big band piece. And he instantly starts kind of banging it out right away. Right. It just, it is the way it's kind of handled. And I really did like that scene in particular because of that kind of uh, almost revelation through subtitles, I guess I, I really, right. it made me have a much more stronger reaction to that particular scene. Nice. And I'm glad someone slept with Jessica Chastain for the love of God. <laughs> I mean, she's a very attractive lady. And if you're going to be in a house with her for, you know, God knows how long, I think you should at least try. I think that gotta, should be your goal. Got to give it the college try. It's true. You got to take a swing at least once or twice, man. <laughs> right. You, know, you got to see what's going to happen. What's that old adage? You miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. So, you know, Absolutely. <laughs> might as Absolutely. well. Uh, the last thing I wanted to talk about, um, was oh they all three of them are kind of talking about what they want out of life uh and i really like that sequence i think it's the one sequence in the film where we get a real sense of camaraderie between the three of them and it tells us something about each one of those characters and it's really interesting that david doesn't want to do anything like he doesn't have a dream he doesn't have a desire he wants to do this so he's so focused on this which i think makes his actions later in the film make sense because he doesn't have anything to live for so he's not he's not thinking about like oh if i tell this secret i won't be able to do this this and this whereas these other characters are thinking like i'll lose my family i'll lose my standing and david just doesn't care because he doesn't have that so i really like that sequence as well yeah, no, I, that's a really good scene. I, I completely agree. But I guess the one thing that I have a problem with that scene is, I mean, I can understand his uh, his position, right, kind of the loss that he suffered. But I, I was trying to figure out, was it like, was it at the hands of this doctor or is it just the general loss of the family, right? Was Is this personal to him? Is this guy, you know, the executor of his sister or mother, or did they just die in concentration camps? You know, like, right. was there a past history with this doctor? And I kind of found myself, it would make more sense that this guy would be that important to him. Like, are, are, are you just personifying, you know, the, this this butcher doctor as all of Nazi Germany? To, so to take him down will be some kind of retribution. Or was there actual um, familiarity there before? And I just, I wish... I mean, it doesn't ruin it, but I just it kind of left me questioning, like what what's actually happening, and I wish I kind of had a better definition of that, or maybe a better right. defining of of that relationship. But but yeah, but I mean, I agree. I think that's a that's an interesting scene, and you can kind of see the the differences in how they are. But doesn't that kind of also make you feel? I don't know, like like it's a sad story, but like to kind of just be like, this is all I am about. Like I just have nothing. Like just this kind of general moroseness of david's character like it makes you feel i don't know like i said i just i i just can't be on board with sam worthington man like he says just, says he, the world's biggest batman fan like the, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, takes, <laughs> he takes action he's doing something and he bangs other girls he bangs one of his main bad guy's daughter like he's doing something about it he's stepping out into the world like he's not just you know crying in his apartment i mean there's some crying sure but then he goes I love that there is mix. just a genuine talia al ghul reference from, from barry <laughs> well done <laughs> all right uh, well, i can try to do what i can <laughs> 
All right. So let's talk about the theme. So the theme is integrity. And I guess the idea, I think off the top of my head of integrity is, you know, telling the truth and doing the right thing, even when it's maybe not the best thing for you. You're not necessarily going to get rewarded. You're not going to get the parade when you come home, but it's the right thing to do. So which character do you think had the most integrity? And don't say the Nazi doctor. He's always true to himself. I don't know. <laughs> I can't. Okay, fine. I, I won't go with the Nazi doctor. I'll, I'll, I'll be, I won't be team Nazi for once on this episode. Um, I definitely think it's David, right? I mean, he's definitely the guy. I mean, he's he has the most integrity because I think he's the one that kind of wants to eventually reveal the truth. Uh, first, right. I, I think he's, he's the least, uh, accepting of it, but he's kind of pragmatic about the approach. Um, so, so I, I would say him, I definitely think that, that he would be my, my answer for that question. What about you? Yeah. I mean, I think when I first thought about this, that's the the first thing that came to mind, but then I started thinking like about integrity and about what makes being a person with integrity difficult. Uh, and I think, I don't think David, like he is a person with integrity, but he doesn't have much to lose. Right. So I'm actually right. more impressed with Helen Mirren's decision near the end of the film to kind of shine a light on this or go attempt to, because she has a lot to lose. Like she's, you know, she's kind of been a part of this book and she's got her daughter who looks up to her as a hero and she has a lot to lose. So I actually find like, granted, it takes her longer to get there, but I think once she gets there, I'm more impressed with her. So do you think it matters? Does the context matter or is it just like you have integrity or you don't? Oh, well, I mean, <laughs> I guess I'll color myself a little bit here. For for me, I'm thinking, why do you really need integrity? Like the, the, the story that they tell each other is basically true. This guy's not going to come out and brag about who he is. So for all intents and purposes, he is dead, right? If they say he's dead, he's dead. Like he's, he might not be physically dead, but so like the, uh, if it provides some healing, it provides some greater good the the lie that will never be exposed what does it really matter? Um, I think it depends if you believe that this person who has done all these horrible wrongs deserves to be punished or should be able to just live out his days in an old age home somewhere. Well, I mean, and obviously you wanting him to be punished, but at the same time to come back and tell the truth, no, he got away. Like that solves nobody's problems. Like he's going to get to live out his, you know, to his ripe old age of 80 in an old age home. Um, and, Everyone that he massacred or tortured uh, or their family members that are aware of him kind of don't have any kind of even fake closure. But to kind of mm. address that as, as saying that that's the case, you know, uh, maybe that could provide some some greater good. Like, you know, being able to tell the lie uh, in this case is maybe maybe not integrity, but it's providing some kind of, I don't know, utilitarianism or something like that. But I, what do you think about so the the. I guess the thing – so when Helen Mirren – my problem with Helen Mirren is – not really a problem, but when she has this this change of heart, when she kind of apparently leaves this letter for this Ukrainian journalist to kind of tell the truth. Uh, well, the truth is immediately after you drop off that letter, you do what you were kind of originally said you did X number of years ago. So mission accomplished. So you should have <laughs> – double time back to that bunk and kind of snatched up that letter <laughs> because there's no need to tell the truth now. You, you know, the, the timeline's a little shifty, uh, but you actually did what you said you did. So, so like drag you your, know, your bleeding body back to that just, bed. 
just drag, you know, maybe grab some bandages on the way or something like that. You know, take the knitting needle from the guy that's out in the crazy house, get a knitting the, the scarf or whatever, stitch yourself back up. And, uh, you know, because I don't think I, I can see what you're saying about Helen Mirren, I, the, the revelation, the, the desire to kind of come out. But I think, well, it, it seems like she's the only one really given the opportunity to in the film. Right. Because because obviously David takes. Uh, the way out that he does. Well, so, I think so Stefan has, has the opportunity, intention. but he has no interest. In, oh, absolutely. Like, no. He's the least, he's like, the least, uh, you know, honest person in this film for sure. Like he's, they even say it, he's just ambitious, right? He just, yeah. he has a plan. He has a goal and I'm, I'm not going to fault him for it, you know, but uh, it's just, he's not, I did hate to kind of tangent back into the, the old Stefan, the older Stefan. Why have him in a wheelchair? What does that do to anything? Yeah, I mean, there was a throwaway line later in the movie about a car bomb, uh, and that's why he yeah, was but, in there. But, but it it didn't seem to add anything to the story. It wasn't. It was a weird choice. I mean, I had a. It just seems weird. Like, what's happened? Like, you want to see what? Well, how did this guy get like this? Obviously, right. he was not. He was a kick-ass Mossad agent. Now he's in a wheelchair. Oh, he got hit in a car bomb. Okay, well, you don't need that. That's that's ridiculous. I, I mean, that's yeah. a minor nitpick. I'm sorry. I kind of tangent. Yeah, but it that, is but... it is definitely an odd choice. All right. Um, so the last thing we have to talk about is the movie we're pairing this with, uh, which is Jessica mm. Chastain's Miss Sloan. So are you looking forward to Miss Sloan as it comes out? Can I be honest with you? I'm aware of a movie called Miss Sloan coming out. I'm aware of Jessica Chastain being in it, but I have no knowledge of what it's about, <laughs> anyone else who's in it or anything like that. So I will say that I will see it just because Jessica Chastain is in it, but I have no inkling or understanding or even really desire to go see it other than I just like to see her on screen. So I have no idea what Miss Sloan uh, is even all about. All right. Well, I'm sure glad I had you on for this. I'm glad you're I'm glad you're prepared and ready. <laughs> I I did some research earlier. You can't expect me to research everything. I don't even know. You know, I'm going to throw you under the bus right now. This is your piss poor preparing because you were like, I'll let you know the theme. But you, I didn't know that it was about Miss Sloan until you started it off at the top of the show. Well, the best part so about I'm you complaining about this is I can just delete it. So I don't have to. <laughs> that's fine too. That's all good too. But you know, I was like, you know, I don't want to be sitting here googling really quickly or looking up on IMDb what Miss Sloan is. I want to, I want to be in the moment. So no, I, I, uh, I, I'm aware there's a movie coming out. I will see it, but or hopefully see it. I, I don't know. We'll have to see what's going on. Star Wars is coming out here soon, right? I got to make sure I get that in a couple oh, times. God forbid you admit this Star Wars rewatches. Yeah, I mean, I I'm definitely looking forward to this. It's it's about like a woman who kind of takes on the gun lobby. Um, so you know, of course mm. we. You know, we elitist liberals uh, on the coast will will love this. Uh, but stars Jessica Chastain, uh, Gugu Mbatha-Ra, John Lithgow, Mark Strong, uh, and also Jake Lacey, who I know is one of your favorites. Uh, but, but yeah, it looks like a good cast. And, uh, you know, any any movie, honestly, at this point with Jessica Chastain in a main role, I am there for opening day. Like I am. Is that I'm really what it. it's about? The gun yep. lobby? Yep. Like, has anyone ever won against the gun lobby? Like, this is going to be like a slaughter. Like, what? <laughs> or, or is she a member of the gun lobby? No, she's, she's anti. From... I think she's against oh, the gun well. lobby. So you're going to have to tune in and find out. So you'll have to go yeah. see Miss <laughs> I'll never, ever win. Congratulations. <laughs> it's going to be the most depressing movie ever. No matter how many people get murdered, 
over and over again. We will not change any laws. Can't Jesus take our guns. Christ. Yeah. How dare you? I need a fully automatic weapon because of deer. Deer are running rampant. I need to be able to shoot. I mean, everyone knows. Around. Everyone knows it takes nineteen bullets to take down a deer. So right. it's really that, and I'm expecting the zombie marauders. It's it's for home protection when I'm assaulted by the gangs from Mad Max. When, <laughs> <laughs> uh, when Lord Humongous descends with his <laughs> assless cap men <laughs> to come I over my ready. house. I am ready. That's I'm ready. That's exactly right oh my god so that's gonna be a good one i can't wait to see her just take a beating for two hours (laughs) all right so one more time why don't you tell people how to find you and your show online so yeah so uh we uh or i co-host the one of the greatest podcasts you'll ever listen to uh the true bromance film podcast we're available on all the the basic uh podcast locations stitcher itunes etc follow us on twitter true bromance cast without uh true without the e uh, my co-host and I are very active on Twitter. You'll don't be confused uh, if this is kind of maybe uh, your first introduction to us. There's a lot of arguing within the Twitter account, and it's actually us <laughs> going back and forth since we both have access to it. So you're, it's not a bipolar person running the Twitter <laughs> account. It's actually two people arguing it's with each like other. Not like two constantly. personalities. Yeah, like, the same you know. person. Yeah. You know, oh well. Like speaking of personalities, I'm you. Are you ready for Split? I saw uh, the preview for Split. No, uh, you know, no. Come on, no. Uh, it looks like, good. I'm that ready. looks like I'm hot like... garbage. No, thank you. It's it's one of those things. I don't know if we'll keep this in the episode or not. But when you have, it's like when you guys watch military movies, right? Uh, you have a certain amount of knowledge that can sometimes ruin a movie for you if they do things wrong. Sure. And just watching that trailer sends me into like a fit of rage. Like it just so much is wrong with it already. Mike, uh, who we said we wouldn't mention, but there it is, wants me to do an episode and I fucking refuse. So that's not going to happen. <laughs> well, stand by your convictions, my friend. Have, have integrity. You know, that's right. All right. Well, thanks, Barry, for finally being on the show. I'm glad we, we finally worked this out schedule-wise. I'm, you know, I'm glad I could finally come on, man. You gave me uh, you know, far enough in advance notice that I could get the kitchen pass in in time, and I think it worked <laughs> out well. So. All right, thank you for listening to another episode of Pop Culture Case Study. So the next time we talk, we will be doing a new release review on Miss Sloan. But until then, if you'd like to connect with the show, there's a bunch of ways you can do it. You can go on Twitter and follow me at PC Case Study. We have a Facebook group, and you can find us at followingfilms.com. But if you really want to help out, go to patreon.com slash popculturecasestudy, and there you can donate to the show on a per-episode basis and get some really cool rewards for that donation. So until next time, I will be here diagnosing your favorites and judging you for what you watch. All right, cool. That's it. There's only one moment in there where I was like legitimately worried about something you were going to say because I was cracking up in my head because we were talking about the the gynecological exams and you made some comment about you were afraid he was going to sniff it out. And I was like, <laughs> no, don't do it, Barry. Don't do it. <laughs> uh, uh. Well, that I mean, I was really like thinking because like I was like, this guy's going to be a perv. Like he's going to kind of like, right. oh, this is... You know, this is the the scapulum as you hear the zip. You know, like this is, don't pay. It's already warm. You know, don't. It's a little throbby. Don't pay any attention. Oh, this is a God. new version I created myself. But uh, you know, no, I. Uh,
I, I know where I am. I'll try to, you know, minus my, my apparently, I can't even believe I came across so pro-Nazi, but uh, yeah, you <laughs> yeah, know, well. just uh, minus, he was impressive, man. I really liked his character. Like, he I think good. between him and Christoph Waltz, they're the only two Nazis you ever actually want to see multiple times on screen. I thought it was good. You know, as long as you're admitting, like, these are the Nazis I want to hang out with, it's, it's good that you know that by yourself. <laughs> I'm I'm just trying to embrace Trump's America, you know. Yeah, as, well, as, as, a, as a as a white man, I can easily jump on the, the easy to blend wagon, in you know? for you. Yeah, there absolutely. you go. I can just blend right in. I have no problems. My blonde haired blue eyed children will be just ushered right up to the front. <laughs> That's right. They'll be in the front so. row for sure. 